Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 5th of March, 2023. And that composition is entitled Espiritu Resuelto, that is Resolute Spirit. And that is something that Alan wrote and played on December the 25th, 2012. Alan used to talk about the elite and how they were resolute in their plans. This ancient agenda always went forward. They were firm. They were not going to budge, unwavering. And this composition is is a response to that, that each of us as individuals, if we too are resolute in our purpose, we don't wait for someone else to do the work or the thinking or take action on our behalves. It makes a difference. Alan used to always say to people in a kind of a one-on-one way, you matter. You matter. Every decision that you make, everything that you do with your life, day to day, moment by moment, it matters in the direction of where we ultimately head. The idea to do something a little bit different today and indeed for the rest of the month came to me from one of Alan's listeners who, knowing that this this time that was coming around that Alan had had passed away two years ago, that maybe there was something that I could organize to commemorate Alan to different he had a whole list of very wonderful ideas, memorializing ideas. And I went back in my mind to just knowing Alan that he never wanted a that cult of personality. He he was humble. But still there is something to be said for a debt acknowledged and gratitude expressed. So I asked a few people um, if they wanted to record a little something, five or ten minutes, to express what Alan meant to them, what his work meant to them, how it had shaped their thinking and helped them change direction in their lives. And if there are a few of you who want to just sit down and record a little something and send me an mp3, this will be a kind of work in progress as I do something a little bit different this month. I also wanted to mention today that Weston Weston Gilson is no longer going to be working with me, and I'm sad about that. Um, he he is on a very important quest for his purpose, and I'm just very thankful for all that he was able to accomplish while he was here. He arrived here in December of 2021, and I was exhausted, frankly. And he was able to learn how to upload to the website. He really dived in with the transcript work. It was he who 
set up our the little YouTube and BitChute channels, and also he who taught himself to make little videos to go along with some of the talks that we upload. And in many other ways, Weston has been very helpful to me. So it is a loss, and and in a way it's something that you'll all suffer from because things will be a little slower as I do. I'm kind of back to doing things on my own, and now I have the the added element of the videos, which I did my first one yesterday on the Real History Podcast, and I enjoyed it. I'm sure that I will like it, but I think that things might just take a little bit longer to be uploaded, and emails might take even longer to be answered, but um, anyway, again, I wanted to say that his help has been really necessary and uh, I, I deeply appreciate it but purpose is so important and I know this because I found my purpose many years ago and I think that life would not have been nearly worth it just would not have been I don't know how to say it, you know. Alan used to say to people who would write in about what do they do with this information? What do they do with the knowledge? And, and Alan, I wouldn't say that it was a stock answer, but it was an answer that he gave a variation of very many times or had me give a variation of. And that was that as you incorporate this knowledge, as it really soaks into you, that puts you on the road to finding purpose and really understanding, knowing, aha, this is my purpose, that can take a long time. And one thing that Alan would stress is that with purpose, one might often find deep meaning that brings meaning. And in this, this world that we live in, I think that each of us finding purpose and being resolute in our spirits towards our purpose is the most important thing that we can do with this knowledge. So the first clip that I wanted to share with you is from a listener in Sweden, Michael. And Michael was born in Ghana, and he moved to Cyprus with his family at the age of 12, where he went to high school. Then later he went to university in England, and there he met his wife and moved to Sweden. And he now lives in Sweden with his wife and two children. And he's recorded a little something about how he came to find Alan's talks and how it helped him. And... One of the things that he said towards the end of his clip was that Alan's work was full of shortcuts that help us bypass maybe years of the kind of deep research that Alan did, but just little shortcuts in the way that we can think about things and how we approach our own research. And so here is Michael from Sweden. 
Hello, Melissa. This is uh, Michael. And it's uh, really nice to that you are making this um, audio togetherness for Alan. Of course, edit as much as possible. It's okay. Um, I think uh, I would like to talk about the first time I came across Alan and his talks. I used to work in a warehouse and uh, was a guy listening to his audio and uh, I was eardropping, eardropping and the topic was pretty heavy and back then I've heard a few controversial topics before and um, I was extremely blown away in a way because he mentioned something about uh, civilians, I believe about how everything was extremely uh, controlled. So I stopped uh, this guy and I, I asked him, who is this guy you're listening to? And he, his description was, this guy is extremely different. <laughs> but yeah, if you're interested, you can go on the website. Uh, but he was a bit cautious to actually uh, lead me to the website because he... Uh, and where he felt like he thought I would think that he's strange or the content is uh, strange. But there was something that made me immediately wanted to look more into it because I have been wondering for many years about some topics which I never got uh, reasonable sound explanations for. So I believe the first thing I did was uh, listen to the audio, the latest audio, and this is in uh, 2017, 2016, 2017. And for me personally, I was in a very deep area because my mind has always felt something is wrong. And I've always felt that there is a lot of pretending going around and every, everything never made any sense. The only difference is I felt alone and everybody else would uh, not understand what I am saying. So I always come across as a, a complainer. And that's what most people thought I was, that I, I only complain about everything. But then I heard the first audio from Alan in 2016, 2017, and it was mind-blowing. I was so amazed. It felt like getting a confirmation in a way of what I felt was wrong. So after I listened to the audio, the first one I was so blown away that I was, okay, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to go from the beginning of his talks because in the talks he mentioned how he has been talking about this for many, many years so you can find it in the archive. So I, I, I decided to start from the bottom and start uh, listening to his talks from 2006. Every moment, every audio I listened to, there was a big pause for me where it's like a eureka moment. It's like, okay, that's why it's like that. Okay, that's... So everything started making sense. Everything started being put in the right place. And I felt so uh, happy to hear it. Because it felt like, to me, it was speculation. 
in my mind before, but now I can really, really hear a voice of somebody that is extremely intelligent and has a reference to what he is saying. So I listen to the audios every single day for the past six, seven years. And I never stopped. Every day I listen to minimum five audios. And there were times where I would spend eight hours listening to the audios. And I went through periods where I didn't think what he was saying was true. So I need to double check by reading the books. And when I read the books, I go back to the audio from the start. And everything is like, wow, this is incredible. So one of his... Uh, Audios. He talked about the fact that he was doing this to give to give the listener the shortcut. But only problem is that until you appreciate the shortcut, you need to go through the long route to realize why Alan's work is a shortcut. So I really appreciate everything he has done. And for me, if I never uh, came across his material, I would still be lost because. The misinformation and uh, the counterintelligence is so huge. And there is no truth in the open. You have to dig real deep. And just like you said, you have to, you have to take it with the... You want the truth, you have to... You shouldn't have condition on the truth. You have to take it as it is. And after listening to him for a while, that's how I started appreciating his work because everything he said I could go and reference it and it was true. Of course I felt that he was a bit cautious to give his own uh, beliefs and I did not understand that at the beginning but now I can say that that was extremely clever because his work was not to give you his beliefs, he wanted you to think for yourself also. And of course it was extremely sad when he passed away it was uh, it was in march and i i remember every monday i'm looking forward to the new talk it was around the covid time and i read some information and, and it's like having a, a father figure explain it to you like no 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 don't look at this no this is that no this is so when that moment where he passed away happened it felt like, for me personally, a little lost for a while to uh, comprehend or how to understand. Because for me, it's, it's, I think he made it a lot easier to understand. And when he passed away, it felt like you are really, really on your own. And all of a sudden, everything that he has thought, in a way, have to use it keep hold of your mind and that's all he did really and more of course but to be able to give you the ability to use your mind and decide for yourself what information and what decisions to make without being influenced by what kind of culture you came from or what country you live in what political system you know and so on being able to step out as an individual and that is the gift that Alan gave me and I appreciate it extremely well.
Because although I have to live in my mind most of the time, my mind is more at peace and I'm not self-destructing like I was before. So I hope everybody else keeps supporting the website because it's extremely important. If Alan has done or has made any influence on you, he used to always quote uh, Plato and said that uh, Plato said, if you influence five people in your lifetime, you've done well. Something like that. But I believe he has influenced thousands of people, hundreds. So he is more than a legend. He was, he was God sent. And it's really sad uh, when it comes to Mars because it's extremely difficult to us go through this whole agenda without a teacher in a way because he saw things in a way which you will not see it but once he mentions it you are aware of it so his help was extremely extremely welcomed yeah and I, I, I try to practice everything he says and you know it's of course it's difficult, but it's extremely important to know thyself. So for Alan, I think he's one of the people I wish I ever met. Because it's just, I can't imagine the person being like the way he was. It was incredible. The, the, the depth of the knowledge and the fact that he could remember all this is... It's insane. He was a very special man. And I'm glad I came across him in my lifetime. Speak to you soon. I mentioned in an email this morning to Michael that I was going to play his clip. And he said, he, he let me know that he had found a new job. Um, he said he got a new job and this just this week and he said it was due to his being extremely aware of EU regulations he said that he had never studied for that but that knowledge of the EU regulations from listening to Alan was very helpful he said I learned from Alan's talks and followed through his work he said I wish I could mention that and I said well I tell you what send me a little email and I will read that to finish off your thoughts. So he said, for me, it was understanding the whole picture, culture creation, separation of society and separation of different generations, understanding the role of religion and politics, societies with secrets, crisis creation. I began to see everything I missed and questioned my whole life, the money system. I became a better human being by embracing my empathy, which is taken as a weakness in the modern age. I began to understand that not everyone could understand the message, and I may be alone in my understanding. It was scary at first, but like Alan said, there are many stages if you choose to go further. The more I learn, the little I feel I know. But what I have taken out of this is that I used to belong to a box and a mind forced to think in a certain way. But my indoctrination was not too great, and I was able to break free. And although it is a constant battle, 
I have many sources of motivation from Alan's work and his dedication to go through with topics which he thought would always repeat itself. And that's why I feel that I could never have gone this far without keeping my mind. I am able to see through the cons because there was a great teacher showing the signs. It goes a lot deeper for me because I was extremely curious my whole life. So coming across Alan really saved me from a mass mind to an individual who sees the world different than what is presented. Regards, Michael. And as I was listening through old talks of Alan's and settled on which old talk I wanted to select from, I chose a talk from August 30, 2007, entitled Synchronicities, Psychotronics and Behavior Modification by Environmental Stimuli. And it was funny when I saw Michael's email because I had decided that I was going to edit just a section of that talk that would be approximately 20, maybe 25 minutes long. And just at the point past where I had decided to edit, Alan got into Freemasonry, secret societies, and how the people who are brought up in these systems and trained through them are always able to spot the con immediately. They just know, you know, something might be presented to the public one way, but the person who's come up through masonry is going to say, ah, well, that's not the reason that they're doing it. It's for something else altogether. So like Michael said in his email, he's able to see through the cons because of Alan. And so I encourage you all to listen to that entire talk from August 30, 2007 in the blurb section. It's a good one. And so here is that clip from that talk. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll also find me on AlanWattSentinel.eu. It is August the 30th, 2007. Strange things happen once in a while in all our lives, things which are inexplicable to an extent. Today was one of those days for me when I got up wondering about the spraying and the effects it's having on the public, plus the psychotronic warfare, the scalar weaponry, which is also used on top of the spraying, or in combination with the spraying, to alter the moods and the reactions to the public. At the post office today, I watched as the woman tried to tally up the the figures for a few things I was posting out, and it came to $202, which is about $100 just over what it should be. <laughs> That's the kind of day it's been everywhere I went. Uh, slight confusion. When I went to the bank, as soon as I got up to the teller, down went the computers, and they had to resort back to the, the calculators and confusion once again as the woman tied up the same amount of figures and got four different answers each time. It wasn't a complicated project and by any stretch of the imagination, but I watched the reactions, as I say, 
all day to the people around me. Same thing went to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store and there's this woman in front who had her usual groceries and, and two bags that she'd filled with dates and things and hadn't put any price on or the sticker on and held up me who was right behind her for about 20 minutes while she had to go back and find them and get the number and the bin and all that stuff. That's the kind of day it's been. And yet the odd thing is, I knew it was going to be one of those days before I started it. You get that little precognition there, that little bit of deja vu, and you just know what's going to happen. So each thing is no surprise to you when it does happen, kind of like the Matrix movie, when the programs overlap and there's a time lapse and you see something twice that's kind of like the feeling you get when you have one of those days and I wouldn't be surprised if the confusion in people that we're witnessing is due to not only the inhalation of the spraying which may be laced with drugs as well as the, the metallic substances that's been found plus the harp playing on top of it is having an effect on the public in ways they don't understand they certainly are not reacting to situations in their own environment or to the world situation as people really should be this week on my Cutting Through the Matrix show on RBN Radio I've been touching on perception and how perception is altered and how conditioning is altered through the alteration of the immediate environment around a person. It's so clever. You see the scientists who initially tried to find out how the mind would work realized there were so many facets to study and having the unlimited budgets they get from the big think tanks and the big governmental secret organizations from the parallel government, really, the decided to split up into specializations Skinner that went into behaviorism and behaviorist science thought it best to alter the person's behavior by simply altering the environment around them you don't realize how easy it is to condition you by slight changes over a period of time within your environment the Pavlovian training that you got even to wear a seatbelt was quite simple. They put a buzzer in the car. Therefore, when it wasn't snapped in, the buzzer went on, and you responded to the noise. Very simple. They do this with animals in laboratories until you have a population, and a world population that obeys automatically and doesn't even think that a machine is literally programming them to do something. A machine, really, which is in their environment, and not, not part of them, it's around them. This same conditioning process is now going into shopping malls in Britain and shortly to come to ones near you where big screens are installed and if you just happen to drop a candy wrapper or do something socially unacceptable and that could vary from a whole bunch of things since they keep expanding what is acceptable and non-acceptable you'll find it yourself, you'll be on the screen and the whole shopping mall will see you and you'll feel terribly small and under the microscope and blush and maybe even do worse things depending on how 
while your bladder is equipped to handle it. But that's all to train the public by alterations in the environment to obey, obey, obey. You've heard the battle that's been going on for many, many years concerning law enforcement. Well, law enforcement, you see, must, by its own mandate and its own teaching, go the whole way to being absolutely sure that everyone will obey. It has no choice because when you see the way they're trained in the specialists now in the multi-specialists and the multi-layered specialisms that are into law enforcement, that is their mandate. Everyone must be predictable completely in order to control them completely. It can't go any other way. And no matter what silly laws seem to come along that the public don't understand, they will enforce them. Because these laws have nothing to do, really, with treating you like a human being. You're simply a guinea pig that's being trained, as a good animal should be trained, by its betters, according to the law. They truly see their, their position as that. It's the same in the military. The military, of course, is for the officers where they say, the only solution to world peace is to ban war, to eliminate war, and to go through all the causes of war, which are only the superficial ones, and again, they're only told what they need to know. And that's how it's so easy to believe when you're taught all that you need to know and no more. They really believe that the elimination of nations will end war. However, none of them want to be out of work. And that's why, since before you were born, really since the end of World War II, they saw the glimmering of a united planet where they'd have to find new enemies. And who did they turn their sights on? Well, it's the member of Joe Public, you see. There's no other target left. A world society that will need to be trained like Pavlovian animals into new ways of behavior through traditional methods of the threat of force and eventually the use of force if need be. This is where science has taken us. Science, which the elite decided would conquer the world. Sciences, which they kept secret from the public. Not just the stuff you get at university, but the the levels of tuition, which are much higher than university level, that deal with the, the very advanced sciences. The stuff they get at university level is literally child's play. It's Freudian, and uh, it's low-level stuff. When they, and then the behaviorists too simply repeat the same tests and routines on animals that the last class did and the previous year's class did, on and on and on. They don't realize that there, there are branches way above them which have crossed the line between observation and coercion or direct stimulation because they do have equipment which again is out in the open now if you read the right books to do with psychotronic warfare. Zygmunt Brzezinski talked about this in the book Between Two Ages. It's a must-read for anyone who really wants to get in to the agenda because Brzezinski wasn't some sci-fi novelist employed by the Future Society to simply give you predictive programming. This guy was up at the top. He gave advice to a lot of presidents, still does. And his speciality was about control, behavioral control of vast societies. When Brzezinski was asked if he thought the public would ever rebel if they were pushed too far, 
he he scoffed and he said with the public he says what do you mean he says you can you can beat them you can push them you can starve them to death and what do they do meaning would they turn and rebel he says no they turn around and eat their dead that's what he thinks of the general public and that's typical of the elitists who are in charge the psychopathic elitist now he's not quite wrong in what he's saying because they've done studies down through history, down through the ages, on this very thing. It takes an awful lot to get Joe Public to rebel. And even then, it's sporadic. It's a last-ditch, desperate attempt to sustain life, uh, to get food, to have a, a roof over their head for the family. When there's no family left, there's nothing left to fight for. Uh, that's another reason they want to destroy the family. Because the woman, as Adolf Hitler said, will follow the biggest propagandist, the one who promises them safety and security, if they just obey. And he said, we must aim all our propaganda at her. She will come, the child will follow the mother, and therefore must follow the man. And he was only quoting Nero and other tyrants from the past who'd used the same formula. When the family is destroyed, there's no man left to defend anything. So... Government can talk directly and demand you, the individual, to obey with no one stepping in between or around you to help you. That's as simple as that. Brzezinski, in the book, Between Two Ages, talked about psychotronic warfare. He said it's shortly to be used on the public. You'll find that in it. The technotronic era. Technicians would be one huge class that would be up there under the guardians, as Plato called them, working for the guardians, the dominant minority of Aldo Huxley. Different names for the same people, same families. And they'll be using this psychotronic warfare. Psychotronics is the ability for a computer to literally pick up on electrical impulses which compose a language, each one's a language going to different nerves, your eyes, your ears, and different centers of the body. It can pick it up instantaneously as you broadcast it, amplifies a signal, it can decipher it, and if they think that you're having the wrong thoughts, they can adjust them and beam it right back at you, so that you'll suddenly change your mind in the middle of something, or your opinion in the middle of something, or simply it will be blotted out of your mind altogether. Uh, this technology actually exists. The beauty of this system is they keep these sciences pretty well secret from the general public. You won't hear it touted about on the news. The news is meant to keep you in one phase of reality, which is the bottom level. Science magazines and exposés are meant to do the same when they come out and say, this is the best that we have. That's all there is. We're working on this. Maybe one day we might be able to yada yada yada. That's how you're kept in the dark while they're actually using advanced technology and psychotronics on the public. This was demonstrated on Canadian television when Nick Bigage somehow or other has gotten a hold of and and shown using this obsolete equipment from the CIA from the 1950s. 
stuff you could put in your pocket like a packet of cigarettes, something you could aim at someone's head and literally give them thoughts or voices or music inside their skull. Old stuff, obsolete stuff. And you wonder how many people ended up having psychotic breakdowns, thinking they were going mad, as they were being tested with this stuff on probably a world basis. I think every country has the same technology, to be honest, and has for a long time. How many people were locked up in psychiatric hospitals with this, as all the studies were going on. There's a movie everyone should get a hold of. It's called Control Factor. It's very similar, in a sense, to They Live, in that it was a low-budget movie, but it's packed with real stuff, real information about psychotronics, written in a story form where whole cities are under the microscope and individuals within society are under another microscope being tested and tested and tested because, you see, if something in your environment changes or within yourself, it seems, you might think you're going a little crazy and they want to study you as you, as you think you're going crazy, as you try to hold on to sanity and all strange things are happening to you or around you. They want to be able to predict your behavior as you use your logic to try and fathom out what's happening to you. This stuff has been done on the public. On what kind of a scale, we'll never know, but I do believe that the harp technology is putting people into a much calmer state than they should be, even though when you see them in towns and cities, they're very, very tense because the worries are stepping up in society. All the glue that held it together is falling apart, is breaking off and chipping away. So there's a tension there, but something else is keeping them under almost a foggy state or a fugue, a fugish state, as we call it in psychiatry. Now, I don't know where Nick Biggage got that equipment to demonstrate on the CBC, on Wendy Mesley's show. You can't find it at the Army Surplus Store for camping and supplies. Nonetheless, that equipment was solid state. It had to be microcircuitry, and that was in the 1950s. How far ahead have they been in the past, and, and how far are they ahead today? They're tremendously far ahead. They're using the psychotronics on a large scale. Those who stay up at night and watch the sky when you're getting these now these new thunderstorms, the, the new norm thunderstorms, we're always getting new normals. It must be normal because the forecast never mentions it or comments on the, the strange bizarreness of the the piano ripples that go across the sky now and strobe-like effects which are witnessed across even parts of Ontario by different people who get in touch with me. That helps to verify it's not just you who's under attack. It's a whole people who are sleeping away. The voice-to-skull technology is old stuff, very old stuff. Alexander Bell's father was working on that before Bell himself became famous for the telephone and took over. They were all very high in certain societies, and they had their mandates. You'll find that intergenerational families have their own particular speciality, which they pass on. 
to their children who take over. And no doubt, if you went into the, the lineages of them, you'd find them connected to very important people in, the, in history. I don't know if people are really aware with the, the changes they've all heard of vaguely concerning televisions, for instance, and the flicker rate, the pattern, and all the different names they've used for updating television to high definition, and all of this kind of stuff, and you think it's just for your own entertainment and pleasure and better viewing. Yet before the television was given out, it was well known that specific flicker rates, which are not really visible to the conscious mind, it can set you into epileptic seizures if need be. And this has been tried in Japan in a big test that they used on children with one of the more popular games when they first brought it out. Many of them went into epileptic seizures. This kind of technology, this kind of thing, again, a change in your environment, something external to yourself, can induce certain programmed effects, because that's what it's doing. It's programming your brain, because it can tap into certain frequencies that your brain will then try and match. It's a sympathetic resonance, as they call it. They can do it with any nerve in your body, because all the different nerve systems, the nervous systems to your eyes, your ears, and so on, have different different rates of vibration. And so do all the nutrients that come along to it. That's how they pick up the specific nutrients they need. The nutrients vibrate at the same frequency as the nerves themselves, and it attracts them to it. They take it by osmosis. Once again, old stuff. Old stuff that's now being used in real life because when they give you pop guns they call firearms, they're keeping you in the dark. They're so far ahead of all of that that it's even a joke for them to still to use firearms for the regular troops. It keeps you still thinking an old think. That's the best we've got. Even though they keep changing the style of it, it's the same old stuff, powder and ball, basically. And it keeps you thinking that's the best we can do. A while in the 1970s, the big magazines for the military were publishing the fact that they had little pencil-sized weapons that if a soldier swept it across the battlefield, like a little pen torch, a pen flashlight, everyone coming in his direction would be blinded permanently. That's what I'm talking about. The quiet technology, the very, very quiet technology that's had massive funding because the world we're going into is to be a world of changes, big changes, rapid changes. So rapid that the Department of Defense published the biggest think tank that it owns, its own report in the Guardian newspaper, at least nine pages of it, but there's 90 altogether. Look into the archive section on my website and you'll find it there. They foresee a horror show of uprisings for the next 30 years. And this ties in with the speech given by Donald Rumsfeld right after 9-11, when he said this war might take a 100 years. And Joe Average, is, between his, his inoculations, his modified food and his hamburgers and his, and his GM uh, potatoes, the, or fry, French fries and and all the other stuff that he vaguely thinks through this, this fugue again, this fugish state, 
and 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 might wonder occasionally here and there. Uh, one of them will think, why did it take so long, a hundred years, to finish off the Middle East? Well, it's not the Middle East, folks. It's the whole planet. It's the whole planet that must come through a dramatic change from the old world to the new world and for the new age. The age of Huxley's Brave New World. Even Brave New World was a, was a term from the Greek, from the ancient Greeks, the philosophers, who wrote about this as well, a Brave New World. Where you would dare, those, those who had the ability and audacity, like the knights, you see, a knight is bold, he's audacious, he's audacity. Those who could grab the reins of life and lead would dare to take charge and conquer nature and break all the bonds of the past, reshape the world, remold it into a new, better, more efficient system to serve those who dared to take the reins. The psychopathic inbred personalities that have run this world for a long, long time. Charles Darwin did not come up with the idea of the origin of species to do with selective breeding by himself. His grandfather wrote about it because they'd already been inbreeding themselves and picking specific partners for certain qualities, always from the same other family. The idea to get hybrids out of the matches and then to inbred the hybrids and breed them. That's what it's about an old, old idea or science that has been used down through the ages by very powerful, wealthy families. Alan and I had a few conversations about grief, and these conversations were centered around his dog, Meg. And Meg, he just loved Meg, but he said, Meg was an alpha female, and there's nothing worse than an alpha female. He said she just could not let her off the leash. She would charge into the woods, come back hours later. If if she came back at all, you might have to go and fetch her. Stubborn, everything about her could just drive you to distraction. But he had such a deep bond, such a connection with Meg, and he said... When she died, he had this intense experience of the connection to her. And he said, you go out into the world, and for you, the world has stopped. But you're out there, and you ask yourself, why are people shopping and talking and laughing? And when Alan passed away, you just cannot explain the what grief does to you and the things that you do that you even see yourself doing and you, you say, why am I doing this? I, I'm not a robot. Why, why am I up making myself bacon and eggs? But that's what I did for, for a week. I always made some big breakfast and I just kept doing it. I made a couple of loaves of bread because I always made bread. And then the bacon ran out, 
and I never baked a loaf of bread again for more than a year. I ate cold cereal for a month until a friend realized that I wasn't taking care of myself and she started to feed me. I remembered a blurb that Alan did. It's still possibly my favorite, entitled, Sing Your Song and Steal Some Time. And in that blurb, he, he read a bit of a poem by the German Heinrich Heine. And he read the first two lines in German. And I thought I would read just a little bit of it in English, From My Great Sorrows. From my great sorrows I make small songs. They lift their ringing feathers and flutter to her heart. They have found a way to my sweetheart, yet they come back and lament and lament. But they will not say what they have seen in her heart. And there was often music in the house, one of us whistling or singing and there was no music, and finally, after a few weeks, I wanted to hear some music, but I knew that I could not listen to Alan's music, and the idea of any music, much as I wanted to hear it, just I knew it would be trite and meaningless. And one day, I, I saw a Leonard Cohen disc on the top of a stack, and I put it in the player. And there were the songs that Alan used for bumper music and the songs that you've all heard, The Future and Waiting for the Miracle and First We Take Manhattan. These are all songs that he used in his talks over the years. But there's this song, which if I heard it ever, I just never remembered it. But it became the most meaningful song, as if it was written just for me. And I listened to it over and over, and I sang along with it, and I cried to it. And I still return to it when I feel low. I felt as though it was written just for me. But I'm going to share it with you now, because it isn't just for me. To be in this dark world of orchestrated evil, and still to be able to love and even feel joy is the victory. If it be your will that I speak no more and my voice be still as it was before I will speak no more I shall abide until I am spoken for If it be your will If it be your will be true from this broken hill I will sing to you 
from this broken hill All your praises they shall ring If it be your will To let me sing to 